Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. As president of Audio Cut Audio Post, our guest Jerry Deaton has embraced new technology, which has allowed him to do audio jobs that not only that just seven years ago required a staff of film engineers to complete. His credits span from re-recording mixer, ADR mixer, dialogue editor, to sound design editor and composer. Jerry's range of work has included trailers, commercials, TV, new media, film shorts, and features. Independent filmmakers and TV producers have come to rely on Audio Cut Post. And Carol, I understand that Jerry Deaton is a donor to the Roy Dean Grants. Yes, Claire. He gives a generous donation to support independent filmmakers. And we thank you, Jerry, for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me today. So let's uh, talk about audio cut, because I understand, besides the technical work you do, that your portfolio includes uh, work that you, uh, you've composed films before, um, and you've done uh, some incredible work for a lot of independent filmmakers. So... Tell us more about this kind of work that you're doing. Um, Well, I kind of cut my teeth um, in the music production world, which is where I basically learned the art of recording, and then segued out of that into um, film work and, and mixing for films and doing all the necessary audio work that's required for a film about 10 to 12 years ago. And um, pretty much the uh, the ballpark of what I deal with is um, a filmmaker, either an experienced filmmaker or an inexperienced filmmaker, will bring me their film, and their audio will be either in good shape or bad shape, and it's my job to make the end result sound like a polished movie and to do whatever I can to sweeten all the areas of the film that make it come alive and bring it to another level. Oh my God, that's that's fabulous! So I understand that uh, that you had a lot of experience writing music, and you wrote music for commercials with Pepsi, and you produced the title track for John Travolta's film The Experts. So tell us about that part. Um, that was pretty much the um, the period when I was um, signed as a staff writer to Warner Brother Music, and I was coming up as a young producer. Uh, of music, and a lot of film things would fall in my lap, and I would I would try to write for films, and that eventually led to writing scores or underscores for films, and I did that till about five years ago. I I should let me backphrase. I actively seeked doing that up until about five years ago. Now. Um, I'll do that, but only if uh, it's at the request of a client and, you know, they're in a spot and they need a 
they need some score work done for their film. So I continue to keep writing music and producing music, but it's it's only if the client that I'm working with is in a tough spot and, and either their composer didn't work out or they need extra cues for the for the film and um and I'm kind of like a one-stop shop, so I just kind of try to take care of my for my client and and make sure that they get what they need as as quickly as possible because they're always in a rush and they're always trying to meet deadlines. So it's good <laughs> I that I have that music. Yes, this is great. But all of this experience that you had with composing and recording songs must have been a very strong foundation for you to run your sound studio now. It is, because you, you do learn the art of piecing together multiple sound elements into a cohesive unit, which is really what sound mixing is all about. It's it's the sum of the parts. Um, so it's it was a great training ground for understanding how all the parts come together to make up one final product. And um, and that training stays with me. I, I can't tell you how many um, mixes I've been on where a piece of music needs to be edited because it's not fitting properly or the beats are not aligning properly. And without a music background to be able to edit that, I don't know how some of the engineers actually take care of that problem if they don't have a music background because it needs to be edited very specifically so that it does not sound like the music is choppy or that it's been cut into. And um, so it comes in very handy for me. Quite a, quite a few sessions I've used that skill on. I bet. Well, how many tracks are there nowadays when you're editing? You have the music track, you have the background noise, uh, the voice. What else? A, a typical A typical film mix. Um, can get up to just north of about a hundred tracks. Oh no! Yeah, it's it's a lot of information to to um, try to keep organized. Um, you know, it's when it's all mixed down, um, it may be mixed into subgroups that are just basically like music, sound effects, dialogue, foley, and it may seem like those are just like four or five tracks that you have to pay attention to. But what people don't realize is, is to that dialogue track, that one dialogue track, it may require over 15 individual tracks that need to be summed down into just one manageable track. Um, so it, it, it adds up very quickly on the, um, uh, on the sequencer. It gets very, very, um, very, very large, very, very fast. Hello? Well, yes, and, you know, I have noticed when um, when I have worked with sound as well that part of the the mixing of each of those tracks, you know, is, is just getting things aligned properly. And every track has its own... Uh, sub background sound in it as well. How do you work with that? Um, it's really it really comes down to organization. Um, you have to separate things into their functional groups. Um, in, in other words, 
you know, you, you'll have a folder, and in that folder of called sound effects, there will be gunshots, there will be explosions, there will be debris falling, there will be um, bullets hitting the ground, there will be all these things that have to do with sound effects. There might be a baby crying, there might be a pot falling on the floor. So all those tracks are nested into one folder that might be called sound effects. So that when you're looking to edit just your sound effects, you can go to that one folder and see everything that you need to work with. Because if you had to look through 100 tracks every time you're looking for, let's just say, a 9mm gunshot, you right. would never get anything done. It's just it's it's too large of a scope to deal with when you're just looking for a needle in a haystack. So you have yes. to sub-organize. So you have them all in folders? I think I missed some of that. I, I, I disappeared, but I'm back. Oh, okay. Um, yes, uh, they, um, you can organize based on the software that you own to do the post work. Um, some softwares will allow you to organize your tracks into folders. And um, that makes it a lot easier to organize. I can't think of any area of filmmaking that I feel is more important than sound. So um, having a professional do the sound, to me, is the first and foremost place to put your money. Well, that's true, and it actually starts at the production location with the production sound mixer. And that's what a lot of independent filmmakers don't really understand until after they've done their first or second movie and they realize what kind of headaches they run into when the original sound uh, captured is captured poorly. Well, now we're we're about up to the five tips for good filmmakers because this is a good place to get started with that. When they walk into a room, I guess they have to pay attention. Let's say that they're shooting in a in a location and it's a house, so they have to walk in and start listening to the the sounds, the background noises. Yeah, um, the the most important thing that I would say um, a, a, a new filmmaker has to do is, if they're going to put their money somewhere, they really need to put it into. Not, I wouldn't even say necessarily a great camera, just a really good camera. And then the next place they really need to put their money into, besides their actors, is a great sound recording team. Because I've seen so many movies fall apart because of bad sound. Um, and new filmmakers just be absolutely in tears because they don't hear the recording that's occurring during the production shoot. They trust a guy standing over there with a boom mic and earphones to record it properly. But if they haven't paid for a professional, if they paid for a person that just got out of college, that's just learning, or somebody who really doesn't know their craft very well, then they are always shocked when they get to the editing bay and they're hearing trucks uh <laughs> from outside rolling through a tender love scene and it's it just destroys the it just destroys the scene um so i would tell young filmmakers spend a lot of money on a really good production sound guy 
and that will make their post-process seamless. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's a, a great uh, idea. Absolutely. Uh, so, what um, when you are uh, on location? Uh, what if you're shooting outside? Because then you have so little control over sounds. Uh, so do most of them uh, record the film and then go back and record the sound at another time? Yeah, that's that's called ADR, um, automatic dialogue replacement. And uh-huh. some outside environments are impossible to control. So if you're trying to do a love scene, per se, on top of a overpass bridge, all you're going to hear is the traffic underneath, no matter how good your sound recorder is. Um, so what a smart production team will do is they will let the actors do their scene on the overpass, and then they will take those same actors at the first earliest convenience into a quiet area and have them react the scene while they're there that same day, while they're in the moment. And that audio can be resynced with the original video, thereby giving you great audio quality and not having to do ADR, which ADR is usually done, you know, five weeks later, and the actors have even forgotten what film they're on, much less try to keep the performance that they had that that day. So it's best to capture these wild lines while you're in production, if you can. That's a great tip. Thank you very much. Uh, what um, what else can you give us for uh, people that are shooting? Let's say they are going into a house uh, that they've rented and they're shooting in the house. What would you do? What would be the first thing you'd do to check on sounds? Um, their sound guy should be good enough to know how to dampen the reverberations of the room that they're in so that it doesn't sound like you're in a gymnasium. If there's no control over that, then the director has to make a decision. Do they want their sound from the actors to sound like it's real in an environment like a tiled bathroom, or do they want it to sound dry like a major movie would have it sound and then control the ambience through electronics? So that's a director's decision. If the director goes to the scene and says, you know, we're we're shooting this fight scene in a tiled bathroom. We want the sound to bounce around. We want it to feel like the the listener is in the bathroom. Everybody knows what that sound sounds like, so we want that. Well, that's one thing. If they want that, then you're good to go. Just record it. If they want it to sound dry so that you can understand every little word, um then they have to find an alternate way to record that audio after the scene has been shot. In a a very quiet place, right? In a very quiet place, because there's no way that you can... There's no way that you can soundproof or deaden the reverberation of a tiled bathroom. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. So you either have to replace that dialogue either six weeks later... Or that day, it's it's the choice of the director. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So when they're on set and they're shooting, then uh, that's when they always check with the camera, was that good for you? Yes. Man, was that good for you? And then they come through and, and give them a yes, we did a good job. So, um, And so then when they go to see the dailies, if if the sound guy is not really a professional, that's when they find out they've got a problem. Then they have to reshoot. Is that what happens? That's what happens, or they have to do ADR to replace that bad audio. Now, here's here's the real here's the real rub. A lot of directors and producers do not have trained ears for audio. They just don't. They're great visual uh, people, and they see the most minute problems with any type of uh, visual shooting. But when it comes to audio, they are either listening on speakers that don't highlight the problem or they don't have the knowledge and the experience to hear the problem. So they don't think there's anything wrong. But the minute they get it past the editing bay and into an audio post house like mine, and they hear it on a good system, they go, whoa, what's that? (laughs) And that's the point where I usually turn around to them and say, that's hiring a cheap production sound guy is what that (laughs) is. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, this you're on to something that is so true. There's uh I studied something a long time ago called neurolinguistic programming. And what they say is that we are divided into three groups, audio, video, and kinesthetic. So you're either a feeler, you're you know, the kinesthetic, um and are you're the visual and instead of video, it should be visual. And you are you're the audio, and I have to admit that I'm more of the visual kinesthetic than I am the audio, except when I go to a great movie in a theater and I can hear what they have done with the sound. Um, some of the movies that come out of Universal are incredible, and they're the ones they seem to be winning a lot of awards, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, but it's the truth that not not everybody is talented with visual and audio uh, talents. You you seem to lean more towards one or the other. So that would make sense that that they have to have a really good audio man who has an ear. That's true. It is a it is an art form, um, and it's you know it's unfortunately an art form that isn't as appreciated. Um, or let's say this, it's not as easily appreciated as uh, the art form of cinematography because that's pretty obvious. You see what the person shot and you go, wow, that's beautiful. But hearing what somebody's done audio-wise requires a little bit more uh, ear training. Mm -hmm. And most people don't put the time into it. And and that's great. That's you know, that's my job to make sure that that's done properly. But what happens is the decision makers, the producers and the directors, since they don't hear what the problems are, they think there are no problems. Mm-hmm. And yes. when it gets out to quality control and somebody who does hear it and goes, here's a list of things that are wrong because you hired somebody, uh, your college uh, friend, to do the audio, uh, who has no experience in making a film, 
And then the quality control people say, so you got to fix all these things. Then the directors and the producers freak out because they didn't even <laughs> see that. They didn't even see that bus coming, to tell you the truth. That's right. And they don't have the money, probably. They've spent it no, on other com- things. That's right. They're completely out of money by that time. And I get a lot of those calls where they're just, they're desperate. They're like, um, we thought we had an okay film, and then, you know, we found out all these things were wrong, and we can't hear the dialogue at this place, and this the uh, it's supposed to be a 9 millimeter gunshot, and we found out it's a shotgun. You know, it's like stuff like that, where you're like, well, that's the attention to detail that an audio guy is supposed to do. Right. If I, may I um, offer uh, something here, too, uh, in that regard, since I do both on-camera work and... Um, uh, voice narration as well. Um, when that kind of thing happens while working on a film, they have to pay the actors again to come into the studio and then re-record a lot of that dialogue. That income right there, that amount of money, could have gone into the better quality sound guy <laughs> that you know started off with the right experience and the right knowledge and and recording equipment etc and uh i've I've just seen this happen um many times so um i couldn't agree with you more um and also uh, another thing that i have noticed when i bring you know clients into my studio uh who want say for instance an audiobook um they they're they're really surprised when they see the kind of work that goes into it while they're sitting in the studio with me. It's not until they actually sit down and see all the work that goes into it that you know the light bulb goes off. It's just really it's not as easy to grasp when you try to describe it to them. That's correct. It's um it's one of those pull the curtain and the wizard is behind the curtain. It's like if you've never seen it work, then you just assume audio exists. It's you don't think any work goes into making it exist. But it it wow. takes quite a bit of work to make something that should be simple um sound simple. If that makes any sense to you. It's, yes. it's a great a great audio mix should sound like no work was ever done. Normal. It should sound. Yes, it should sound normal. That's what I love when it's normal, and uh, and you can. uh, I love it sometimes when you can hear uh, the sound, the nature sounds when you're walking out, and and you wonder where they got those. They probably had to add those, but they make you feel like you're in that spot. I like it when I go to see a film or I'm watching at home. I'm totally in the film, and nothing pulls me out except for for bad sound. That's the first thing that will make you come back to reality and you're away from the story. That's exactly what happens. That's why... That's why it's really important for these filmmakers to understand that they really do need a audio post um, professional to take care of the audio side of their film because nothing destroys a film faster than some kind of uh, audio bump or shift in the middle of a dialogue line that's delivering a story point. And all of a yes. sudden you're, you're hearing this like this glitch that occurred that can't be fixed and 
you're no longer thinking about the story. You're thinking about what was that I just heard. <laughs> so you're you're totally missing the story at that point, and that's. But that happens on so many independent films, and it it's, it's sad because they're great stories in a lot of these new films coming out. But you know, they just they're. I don't think the young filmmakers actually know where to allocate the priority for the money they're spending. Um, I think they allocate it on things that they think will make a great film, but eventually does not. It's the it's the story and it's the story and the audio that really turn a story to be something spectacular. You could even have you know, a mediocre visual look and um and still get away with a great movie. It's um people will accept that. Their eyes will adjust and unless it's jumping from, you know, poor visual to beautiful visual to poor visual. If it's too, if it's jumping back and forth, an audience member will not accept that. But if it's if it's one thing or the other, you know, most people just acclimate. But sound People know what things are supposed to sound like, and when they don't sound like that, now they're not thinking about your story anymore. Yeah, they're out of it. Well, these are great tips, so we need two more tips for filmmakers. I promised them five tips. I think we've got three okay. great ones. So what uh, what do you find? Some, what are some of the problems that people deal with during filming that they come to you to correct that we could learn from? Um, on the sound side, nine times out of ten is that the director or producers do not either know or don't know how to check the production sound to make sure that it is usable or not usable. That is, if if no filmmaker takes anything away from this conversation other than that, that is probably the most important thing the filmmaker needs to pay attention to. And if they don't understand sound, they should start listening to a bunch of great movies and then educate themselves and then know what their raw material should sound like once it's recorded. Um, Once they get good audio, uh, I'm just assuming they're going to take care of their great visuals. So once they get good audio and they check it on location and they verify that their sound guy does know what he's doing or does not, that's where they have to nip the problems in the bud. Because once it comes to post-production, now they're paying me a lot of extra money to fix what they should have fixed when they were filming. And so it's paying attention on the first day. They really have to be uh, careful from the first day shoot on to know that they have the right crew, that they're all doing their job properly. Exactly. If I was directing a movie, um, I'd make sure I had a great cinematographer or maybe even like an almost great cinematographer, just a guy that could work a good camera and capture visual. I wouldn't spend all my money on that. I would spend my money on the production sound guys. I'd spend a lot of money on that, Uh, not just because I'm in audio, but because that's where films break down nine times out of ten. And as a director, I would invest in a really good set of noise-canceling headphones, and I would have the headphones on the entire time I'm shooting a scene, and I would know what audio I'm getting. So if I heard a jet go by 
during, um, you know, a love scene, I would know, hey, we got to record that again. We we got to do the scene one more time. I would be the guy that would make the decision, and I would look to my sound guy and say, do you agree? Absolutely. Or to an experienced sound, if I had an experienced sound guy, and the experienced sound guy said, look, we got a jet going through this, or or we got a generator that's on, or we got an air conditioning unit that came on halfway through the scene. As a director or producer, I would listen to that guy and reshoot the scene. I wouldn't just go, oh, we don't have time. It sounds okay to me. I'm going on. I'm moving on. And that's what a lot of directors do. They just move on. Yeah, right. Right. Well, tell us, what is it you look for when you're hiring a sound man? What Uh, What can we tell filmmakers about that? I would not look at the films they've done because chances are they could have been a terrible production sound man, but the post-production company could have fixed all their mistakes. So the post-production company could have made that sound guy look like a genius, and he wasn't. So the best way to do it is to call up the directors or the producers of the films that he's worked on and say, what kind of sound did you get from this guy? One question. And the directors will go, I'd never hire him again, or the guy was brilliant, we didn't have any problems in post. Those are the only two answers you're looking for. Great. It's that simple. So it's go straight simple. Go straight to the production group. Find uh, the producer or the uh, director. Probably the director, right. I guess, would be a better choice. The director, because yeah. the director is the one that's living with – he's living in the weeds. He's he's looking at all the scenes. He's going through editing. Then he's going through the audio post-production. So he's being made aware of all of the audio problems, even if he didn't hear them to begin with. He's finding out about them in the post-process. So after he's been through post, he'll be able to say, look, the our production sound guy was terrible or he was great. We didn't have any problems. We only had a couple ADR lines to do, and that was it. So when you get a resume in um, and uh, and you start looking at their resume, then you should uh, immediately just pick up the phone and call the past uh, directors and see what you can find. That's the best way to do it, right? That's what I do. I would, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't call the people he has referenced on his resume. I would call the three films that he doesn't have referenced on his resume, and I would ask <laughs> those directors. What do you think? Right. Okay. Well, where are some of the best places for indie to find good sound men? Boy, I you know that's a real tough question. Um, it's such a word of mouth type of uh, industry for for sound recorders. Um, Boy, that is, that's a really tough one. You can find them, but you don't know what they're like until after you call some directors they work for. But if I was looking for a sound guy uh, to record my film, uh, I wouldn't go to the colleges and get somebody that just got out of school. I would not do that. Um, I would look at some independent films that were done in L.A. that I thought were done well and that I knew were probably on a shoestring budget. And if the sound was good, then I'd call that director and say, you know, who did you use as sound recordist and was his sound clean? 
And it takes a little bit of research. But once you find one guy that, that's good at what he does, you don't have to look anymore. That's right. You can stay with the same person. I see that so often. Um, Woody Allen does it. Uh, Clint Eastwood does it. They all have their crew that they really love. And I have to say, I really love your objective that you have for your company that says support the visionary expression of artists and filmmakers in every step of creative process. Position my company as a go-to resource for clients who require consistent, deadline-reliable quality productions. That's That says it in a nutshell. Thank you for that. So you you do hit deadlines. You are reliable in that. That's what everybody wants to know. Yeah, with everybody always trying to make festivals and getting their getting their project packages together to deliver to festivals, um, you have to make deadlines. If you don't, um, people have to wait another year to submit, and that that can be the difference between you know somebody's film just staying on the shelf or getting a chance to breathe life. Exactly, because very critical. Well, tell us what projects you're working on now. Uh, right now, I am. I've got a few things going on. I just um. What's going on? Give me a second. I did uh, did some work for a movie coming out called Bad Kids Two, um, which Bad Kids One was um, uh, pretty successful. It's kind of a campy kind of teenage movie type stuff, horror film, teenage thing. Um, I've done some ADR for a few films, uh, Man of Death. These things are independents. They're under $5 million. They're probably coming out in the next year. Um, another movie called Super Powerless. Um, I did do some composer work on a animated feature called uh, Almost Heroes, uh, which probably should be released... Uh, I would say in the next month or two, that's a, a real great animation kids movie. Um, and something that I really had fun doing was uh, Michael DeBars, who was a wannabe rock star. Actually, he was a rock star. He just never got to the same level he should have been. Um, I worked on a documentary uh, about his career, uh fascinating career in the rock and roll business, fascinating. Um, I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot. Um, and just a couple commercials here and there. I've just been busy. Things come in the door and they go out the door. Just try to keep busy and, and working as much as possible. Well, it sounds wonderful. Well, how can people find you? Give us your web address and your email, please. The the web address is www.audiocut. That's A-U-D-I-O-K-U-T dot com. And that uh, email for me is jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, at audiocut, A-U-D-I-O-K-U-T, dot com. Wonderful. Well, I heard one of the uh, heads of the studios talking about how exciting things are today. He said there were over 400 scripted television shows in production. So it really sounds like the industry is expanding so do you see more productions being done now for independence? Um, I think, you know, it's it's really hard to, to 
put a finger on the pulse of what's going on right now, there's there's like two worlds. There's the world of uh, the corporate filmmakers, um, all the people that have been in business for years and that have been making movies for years and have continual budgets and uh, continual distribution outlets and keep products rolling through uh, the medias. Uh, but And they always seem to be working. And they're the ones that are actually taking productions out of state because they get all these great discounts. Um, and then there's the other level, which is the independents, which are people who have to scrap as hard as they can to get enough money to get their dream film realized. And those are happening a lot. But the critical mistake that I would say a lot of them are making is that, well, I don't even know if it's a mistake. It's just a, um, it's just part of the situation. They don't have enough money to get professionals involved to make their movie shine. They get just enough people together and have just enough budget together to just make a film, and that's it. So it's, it becomes more of a calling card to possibly get another film rather than becoming a great work of art, if that makes any sense to you. Yes, I see that because uh, my work as a fiscal sponsor where people use us to give their donors a tax write-off, I see um, young people creating films for 50000 or under, and uh, and it is. It's a calling card to get in the door. They they want to have something to prove they know how to make a film. Uh, and that seems to be the way they want to do it these days. They're, they're thinking, if I can do it for 50000 then you ought to be able to give me several million to do the next film because I can show you I can produce a film. And I don't know that that really works or not. What do you think? Well, I, it feels like an illusion to me. Um, it feels like... Um, how do I gently explain this? Um, if I were the head of a film company and one of these filmmakers brought me their film they did on a shoestring budget and cut so many corners that the acting was bad, the editing was bad, the sound was bad, but there was a movie. It's like, as an executive, I'd go, okay, you know how to cobble together a movie. But then my next comment would be, but you don't do it very well, so I'm not hiring you. That would be my next comment. Because there's 20 more people walking through the door that have done the same thing, but they've spent the money hiring tradespeople to make their film go to a level far beyond what the director or producer thought their movie ever would be. I've seen really bad storylines turn into really good movies just because there was a great editor, there was a great audio post house, there was a great uh, um, colorist, um, and I've seen a really bad story turn into something that looks like, oh, you know how to make a movie. But you have to spend the money. You can't you can't expect to spend two thousand, three thousand dollars on audio post and get a great film. You can't expect to spend two thousand, four thousand dollars on a film editor and get a great film edit. You can get a college guy or girl 
and they'll do an edit for you, and it'll probably be passable, and you can get a college guy or girl to do the audio edit, and it'll be okay, and it'll be passable, but it won't impress anybody that's been making major films for $50 million and under for the the for the, their entire career. Right, and that's what you need to do. It has to be a knockout film. A knockout yeah. film. Well, um, I saw something recently called Killer of Sheep. I had never seen it before, and it was made, I think, uh, in late 60s, early 70s. Um, and it was an incredible film that it was a, made while uh, the uh, man was in college. And it was uh, one of the best films I've seen. I think it was on the top 100 list that came out of the BBC's uh, picks. And I had to see what it was all about. And the sound was perfect. And the, uh, so the young man knew what he was doing. He had good visuals. He had good sound. And that was uh, redeemed by the Sundance Film Institute helped pay to save that because it was so old, I guess they were going to lose it. So they made mm. it, uh, transferred it into uh, a DVD. But the see, good stuff just... We we protect the good works of art, and uh, you really have to strive for the best in our industry because with the advent of the low-cost camera, anybody can be a documentarian or a filmmaker. But uh, without the knowledge and the understanding and the crew to support you, because this isn't a one-man job, filmmaking. This is a community. Right? It takes a crew That's to make true. this work. Yeah. That's true. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I my heart goes out to um, all the independent filmmakers who are trying to get this stuff done on no money. It is, it is probably the biggest uphill climb they will probably ever have in their life trying to do something like that. But if they can somehow, and, and I segue to my other point, which is I think uh, trying to answer an earlier question you had was, Where's the money for this stuff? Well, the banks aren't lending money like they used to for filmmakers. And the investors aren't opening their doors up to give money away like they used to. So it's very tight right now for independent filmmakers. So the costs have come way down, but you still need enough money to get through the film. And that's kind of like the period I feel that we're in right now where... There's all these talented filmmakers, and they have great stories and great visions, and they're ready to go, and they get just enough seed money to kind of get their film done. But if there was some source of funding for these people where they could double their budget, they would be making incredible films. But I just don't know if that day is here yet. (laughs) Right. You know? That's right. I agree with you. Well, you've done some wonderful work for our filmmakers who've won the grant and for people that I've referred to you, and I sincerely thank you. I know when I refer you that they're going to be tickled to death that they'll come out with exactly what they needed, a perfect job. So thanks, Jerry. Oh, well, thanks. It's my pleasure to work with them and with so you. I, oh, good. The same here. It's been a wonderful relationship. Uh, from the heart really thanks you and we sincerely thank you for all the tips and advice that you've given us today because it takes someone like you who's been there done that seen it all 
to be able to condense it down into a few things that are the most important that you need to do. So good luck on your new projects, and we hope that you'll join us again in the future on another Blog Talk radio show. I would love to, anytime. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Claire. Yes. Oh, you're welcome. Be well, everyone. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.